it being on the cusp of, you know, is this is this proper art or is this um, just collectible fancy posters? Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. And I release weekly episodes with people around the world who share our love of printmaking. If you like what we do, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. Or just tell a fellow print friend so they can enjoy it too. We also have a Patreon page where supporters can join at tiers that start at just a dollar a month. And that all helps keep us bringing you printmaking content every week. You can also get thank yous like exclusive merch as well as bonus content. Shop Talk with our editor, Timothy Pauschak. These are quick and dirty tips and tricks with our guests about materials, processes, business advice, and general studio nonsense. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you can check out the link in the show notes and hear Tim's chat with today's guest. You can save a little cash too by signing up at a yearly subscription and that'll take 15% off the tier price. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. Products like their line of professional screen printing tools. Speedball believes that professional-grade quality doesn't have to ruin your budget. Their aluminum squeegees, scoop quarters, and high-count mesh screens are perfectly suited to outfit your workspace without changing your books from black to red. So if you want to upgrade your space from hobbyist to pro, head on over to Speedball's website to see where you can pick up your new favorite setup. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is David Sullivan, a cheeky Brit who found his way to Bali and started Blackhand Gang, a world-class printmaking studio in a tropical paradise. We'll talk about coming to printmaking through collecting street art editions from artists who went on to be household names, building a print shop in the middle of a pandemic, and working with a beer garden in your backyard. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to learn who Banksy is with David Sullivan. Hi, David. How's it going? Hey, Miranda. Good to catch up again. Thanks yeah. for setting this up. Yeah. On I, my wet um, I, Monday afternoon here in Bali. Exactly. You know, you, we talked to like people... like a rainbow and, and a ray of sunshine. So the rain <laughs> is... is it's tertiary to my moment right now. Yeah. Well, I was saying, like, we talk to people all over the world, and we rarely get to chat about having the same weather, because it's certainly a rainy Monday afternoon in Bangkok as well. So it's nice to uh, have yeah. some familiar familiar surroundings to connect us. Yeah. So yeah, I... And to dispel the... Oh, and to oh. dispel the myths for all your global listeners that Asia isn't all beaches and uh, sunshine. Yes. It's right now wet, a bit, a bit miserable. Yeah, it, it's definitely um, not always a postcard picture perfect, although it can be postcard picture perfect for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So I was introduced to you through our mutual friend, the wonderful Kirikang Tila Kwatanotai, and was really introduced to the fact that you're doing something pretty exciting and starting a studio in Bali, as you mentioned. But before we get into specifics, would you mind introducing yourself and letting the world know who you are, where you are, 
and what you do. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was that was that magical connection with uh, with Kitty Kong over in in Chiang Mai in Thailand that that put us in touch. So um, he's a very special man, which we might be talking about a little bit later. And um, and it's just one of those. Uh, beautiful aspects of such a nice kind of com- global community around print that people are open to help support and develop others and not close to look after their self-interest and mm. he must be one of the bloody nicest people I've ever had video time with because <laughs> um, he was very generous and just sort of actually put in his mind to how he could uh, help our situation and and one of those things was to connect with you, which has also been been a lovely experience so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks, thanks to Kitty if you're listening in. Because, uh, really appreciate the the connection. So so um, yeah. Well, um, a little bit about me. So I'm a, I'm a Brit from from um, from the UK and spend a lot of time in London, but not my hometown. And um, you know, kind of. Uh, uh, studied the creative industries and found myself in a, in a very nice career with big brands doing marketing and communications and specializing mainly in, in advertising. And so I had this kind of uh, bit of a Peter Pan lifestyle for my, for my early to mid, mid-career where I was playing with other people's budgets and doing nice, fresh, creative projects with them and um and working with some really fantastic people so my background is the creative industries so yeah so harking back from london um it's very lucky enough with my with my um my work and my career to get some great relocation and travel and so i bounced around from london to sydney i was then placed in geneva and then um engineered a relocation to san francisco Mm. And that was really um, a bit of a, um, you know, I, I call it one of my kind of second home cities and um, and really loved the place. But then um, in 2008, there was an economy crash and I got one of those golden tickets that says you're being made redundant, mm. which really was a bit of a, a um, you know, a, a golden ticket in itself because it just gave me a chance to start a second life and do something different with with the path that I'd already been been on for a while. And so um, a year of really um, both feet into backpacking and scuba diving and enjoying um, Southeast Asia, I um, ended up in Bali and that's where I'm based now. And so, so bringing bringing time eleven years into the future to today, I'm here with um, with our printmaking studio, Black Hand Gang, and um, we've actually only been open for just over a year and a half. And we're a printmaking facility focusing on um, the fine art of the medium with um, really um, fantastic facilities in a shipping container venue space mm-hmm. that actually has a uh, an old teak wood traditional house on top of the shipping containers. So it's a real mixed up um, space of kind of the craft of a wooden house and the industrial vibe of shipping containers with a with a print, yeah. print studio inside. So it's, it's a really it's nice. So place. cool! Like when we got to talk before and I got to see the the video tour. It's such a neat idea to be able to bring that historical craftsmanship of Bali and then the real 
practicality of reusing shipping containers that you see in in more contemporary architecture. It's such a beautiful, unique space. So I highly encourage anyone to to poke around or go find an image of it and go visit, of course, when you can, because it looks like an amazing space. Yeah, yeah, super, super lucky to have... uh to have found it and been able to renovate it to what it is. And uh, also has a nice little beer garden and sort of a creative hub, community, vibey space about it. So um, yeah, really, really chuffed with um, with what we've done with the space and with the facility. And, um, you know, many stories about why we've set this up and, um, and how we went about it in this last year and a half, because um, I guess some of the some of the print studios you talked to are these fantastic, well-established um, entities that have been do- going for decades. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're really new, new kids on the block in a new neighborhood for print. And so, um, so yeah, so, so a lot of interesting uh, anecdotes and stuff about um, how we've, we've survived our first year and a half. Yeah, because I was going to say, okay, a year and a half, huh? What else has been going on in the world for about a year and a half? <laughs> you know, there's something, I have this sense that there's also been other kind of global factors, right, for about the last 18 months. I was just uh, peeling off my second month on my war calendar and then there was a little knock on the door and old Mrs. Rona stepped in, <laughs> uh, uninvited, I hate, hate to say, and um, kind of uh, knocked us a little bit sideways with our plan. Yeah, and yeah. So, so, yeah, in your, in your third month of a new, new enterprise, new business, um, you know, I'm I'm backing this project as a as a passion project for me. So um, you know, I'm I'm committed and have uh, put time and money into this. And so so yeah, it was a bit of a um, unforeseen global situation that everyone's having to having to um, get their heads around and um, look at how they can kind of pivot businesses and um, resources and uh, people's livelihoods and that sort of stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, because the the model that you were looking at for Black Hand Gang was bringing outside artists in, correct? And and of course, you know, you want to engage with your local community and their incredible artists all over Indonesia. But, you know, Bali is an island, right? And it's an island that people like to travel to. So it seems like a natural fit to invite artists to come to a place that's beautiful and warm and Mm. make art. And then all of a sudden that became more complicated. So how did you sort of take that on um, logistically, but, you know, also emotionally to ask you a very sincere American question of, and sort of, you know, keep your chin up and, um, you know, decide that like, we're here, we're going to make this work and we're going to get through to the other side. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was definitely something that, that, I wasn't planning to have to deal with amongst the, all the other things trying to deal with, with, with a new project. Right. So we, um, just to give a bit of background really as to what was the, what was the origin of the inspiration for doing this? Because, um, it's pretty interesting and, and kind of might, might fill the colors of the picture a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, be, being a, being a Brit and growing up in the UK kind of, you know, print was always something which you consider to be a classic fine art medium. You know, it's just up there. There's lots of great history about it. I remember like nostalgically being a kid lying on the, the living room carpet and my parents had a, um, a MC Escher book. 
And so, you know, I'd spend my summers just staring at these amazing um, graphic prints of of sheer kind of wonder and awe of um, of the artwork, but then um, you know subliminally that kind of seek, seeping into me that these are prints and these are things that um, are made through this kind of this um, interesting medium. And then um, I also had a big love for um, uh, Gustav Dory, who's the mm. the artist who did a lot of those like biblical prints and so really really kind of um, stark uh, interpretations of religious text but it would be like men wrestling lions on cliff edges and stuff like that or god god rays with angels and swords so so stuff like that was always um just a um a art scene that i always thought was um was super interesting and, and used to buy books about it. And, and then the final one really was taxonomy, which is uh, the scientific drawings of uh, botanical life oh, or seen oh, yeah. before photography. And so they'd have fine art illustrators. And then to reproduce those, they often did did prints. And so so kind of indirectly, I, I've always been a lover of, of artists that have used print to publish their work without perhaps um overtly saying i'm a print medium lover right yeah and then and then something happened in um i think it was the early noughties in london and there was a collective called pictures on walls Hmm. and they were abbreviated to pow and it was this like little little online shop super lo-fi selling street art original editions and so there were all these um all these cool street artists i used to like like motu and iron and um even the band massive attack used to, used to make some artwork and stuff for their albums that they had printed and so me and, and a bunch of people in my my office at the time we'd we'd get into kind of this affordable art thing not knowing that's what we're doing we're just buying artwork we we have a, a hundred pounds spare this month and that's an awesome print and I can have it on my on my dodgy little apartment wall, mm-hmm. and then um, and then you know to that site's credit, they they also had an artist called Banksy. Oh, who? <laughs> yeah, and so so you know this was very early career for him. He was uh, definitely more than just a street artist, but he was you know, um, very real, very, very visibly doing stuff around, around the UK and doing more installation type, um, pieces, but, but I've got friends who, who probably have several, several original prints from his early works that they were like a hundred pounds. None of us were thinking of, of this being a, um, we're collecting things for future investment. We're just, enjoying the work and enjoying having these kind of original pieces of art to decorate our homes and to sort of talk about because we were into it and that's the 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 absolute best way to collect you know and as someone who's been in the the commercial side of the art world for quite some time now I always come back to that when you get collectors saying was this going to go up in value or you know Mm. what's the guarantee on the return of this investment and you just have to say like it, you can't think about it that way. Like if that's truly what you want, like go go buy some stock and like a really safe, slow growing mutual fund or something, you know, it's, it's art has to be so much more than that. And there are people who have made fortunes 
through collecting, of course, but for the most part, if you buy what you love, you will never, ever, ever regret it. Yeah, and, and more, you know, much more than, you know, other scenes at the time, like people buying vinyl toys and, and uh, that sort of stuff. You know, I would be much more in a secondhand shop buying someone's first ever painting that they they handed off to the secondhand shop and sticking that on my wall next to my really nice original street artist print and you know it kind of it was it was the self-curational exploration of kind of you know becoming an adult and wanting to express your own tastes in your home Mm-hmm. and so so I was leveling up by spending a bit of money on these prints but never really thought of it much more than just um, helping the artist and it's really really incredible quality print you know in addition of of a great piece of work and and that also struck me as well there was one I had um there's a street artist called Ein, and he does a lot of uh, typography on buildings like very big scale Mm. And uses uh, super nice, super nice fonts. Lots of, lots of uh, kind of, I don't know, like old circusy type fonts. Very cool. I think they he he designs the fonts. And I remember having a print from him, and it was probably um, 150 pounds. And just every time I'd look at it, I'd just be in mm. total awe of the colours and the the depth. And it was actually on black, so I don't I don't know now how he how he did that but um yeah so so they were yeah Yeah. had a big big impact on me as a part of of the of the art scene and and really it it being on the cusp of you know is this is this proper art or is this um just collectible fancy posters or is this just street art in a premium format and for me it was i thought i was i had art on my walls Mm -hmm. I, i i really have it in the frame of that's that's art for me and and um yeah so I think that was probably my first first real hands-on with um actually owning some prints and actually starting to think a little bit more about um about the scene and it's I just I think it's such a significant point to dwell on for a moment or two about that power of self-expression through the work that you collect and I remember noticing that and how it feels so different to come home to a space when what greets you is someone else's labor, someone else's craftsmanship that on your walls or if it's a 3D sculpture on a stand or a table or whatever it is, but that you've connected with personally and that actually is a kind of affirmation you can come home to, I feel like. And it's not just a bicycle leaning up against the Eiffel Tower from Ikea that is on your wall because you don't want a blank wall, but really is something that you connected with. And I loved hearing you talk about, you know, just looking into these fonts and how rich they were and how you said it was 150 pounds, which is like not even a night out in London, I would guess, not by a long shot. And yet it's something that continually brought joy to you or awe or an aesthetic experience. And I wish that how accessible that can be and how it truly improves the quality of one's life was something that people understood more and more broadly. Because I think it would, of course, infinitely help our mission of bringing prints out into the world and people appreciating them. But also, I think it would 
make people's lives better. I really do. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, um, yeah, I guess unconsciously we were, what you would say now, we were young collectors. Absolutely. You know, a bunch of guys and girls in our, in our mid-twenties collecting this stuff, getting really into it. And and like you said, it's, uh, I don't I don't know if that, ex- I think that site closed, uh, closed in, uh, I don't know, like, like 10 years ago or so. So I think, I remember seeing a closure notice from them because I guess they still had my email mm-hmm. saying, you know, we have we didn't set out to be commercially successful and we were just helping artists to publish works and people to, to have accessibility to that. And then, of course, certain artists on our roster became commercially very successful and it just wasn't what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So they, they pulled it. Um, And so, you know, they were not victims of their own success. They were saviors of that moment by saying we've done this and we we don't want to become what's going to happen next. And so they got out. And I think that's that's, that's brave. I'm sure people, the founders and that sort of stuff have have done really well out of it and perhaps didn't need to, to keep it going and have maybe, you know, took other avenues from that from that um, opportunity. But I think that was a really nice statement of they don't want proper collectors or galleries or or people who aren't necessarily into the art buying it because it's got commercial value. And and even though it was a bit upsetting to see they were closing because I was like, oh, maybe maybe I could see what they've got to sell. I thought what what a great, what a gracious, dignified exit to such a, a cultish um, enterprise. Yeah. So I, and I were they kind of an inspiration then for Black Hand Gang? Or did you have them in mind when you thought about setting up your own shop? Because of, you know, of all the things you could do, why, why that? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, you may know it from me already or from the name of Black Hand Gang or, you know, I come from a a personal philosophy of uh, self-expression and idiosyncratic behavior and being a little bit disruptive to the to the conventions of, of the world. Because I think that's a really interesting space to kind of live and contribute to. And so, you know, I've, I've worked in advertising for, for brands that look for that type of um, way to express themselves. And um, and so it's it's part of my DNA, I think, is to, to be an individual and to express your own creativity and to to be original in your choices and, you know, don't, don't follow, um, conventions necessarily if they don't fit what you're, what you're, what you're pursuing. And so, so I think pictures on war was very much a zeitgeist of the time of people like me in London at that time and, and reflected our mind mindsets and really rubbed off on, on us. And so, you know, God, 20 whatever it is years later i'm opening a print studio called black hand gang i did <laughs> want to ask about the name by the way yeah um well i mean it is what it is it's it's definitely um deliberately meant to evoke a sense of um a, a, a sort of underground resistance a, a club a um something that isn't mainstream, mm-hmm. but it's, um, is about a community 
and that I break it down. So the black hand bit was really a reference to the tactile, um, visceral aspect of, of, of printmaking, right? You're going to get ink on yeah. your hands. It's it's a hand-based uh, uh, art. And um, but actually, black hand has some slightly um, darker connotations to it, which are deliberate that I've chosen that without it it actually um, meant to have those connotations. So, so to give it a little bit of an edge, the black the word black hand comes from um, Italian immigrant communities and the mafia in America, where someone coined the phrase to use black hand tactics was to extort and put pressure on people to 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 bend their decisions or get money or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. So I found that quite amusing because I liked it for the fact that your hands get inky. But then to have that as a, um, a Wikipedia um, insight, I thought actually play, purely playfully, isn't the art world just another form of extorting money from people? <laughs> and so what is the value of art? And if Damien Hirst says this is worth lots of money, people pay lots of money. And, uh-huh. and it uh-huh. is ridiculous. And I find it kind of an amusing um, kind of uh, industry to, to philosophize about and to, to have different points of view to kind of, you know, to discuss those. And so, so it had that slight connotation, but only to entertain myself as a very playful gesture. Um, and yeah, I think it's it very fitting then. Yes. Yeah. But I, I have to obviously put some restraints on that because not everyone has the palate for, um, kind of, uh, you know, overly challenging conventions and disruption and the status quo of the, the industry's perception on the value of serious art. Yes, so light, I, I light extortion to... humor isn't for everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one gets, no one gets until I tell them, so, so it's fine. And it, and it sounds cool, which yeah. is really important in, in naming conventions, I think. So I thought, you know, the gang, again, is meant to be just playfully saying we're, we're, a, we're a, um, a collective of uh, cool people who are taking part in something that might create a movement. And um, I feel it's way more interesting than saying Bali Printmaking Studio. Right. Yeah. It's got, it's a bit catchier. And, yeah. and I feel that like, Bali is such um, such a place that 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 has uh, looms large in people's minds, right? They already they come with a lot of associations with it, um, and and so to have this sort of black hand gang, I feel like it's really putting what you're doing forward first, um, and then added benefit, it's also in Bali, by the way, you know. <laughs> Yeah. 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 So, yeah, but, you know, saying back to that, those, uh, the challenges of that name, obviously I have to, um, you know, our, our vision was to really be a proper fine art studio, not just, not just grassroots printing and uh, anti-establishment street art. Like we can do that and want to do aspects of that, but also want to do serious printmaking, serious fine art and, be be accepted into the Indonesian fine art community industry and leaders and so that name you know doesn't perhaps fit the um the conventions as um and so that that I think gives us for me I like it it gives me a bit of an edge it gives the project 
something um, that says we um, we have an, an opinion and we're not a boring f- facility. We're interesting people doing an interesting thing. So check us out. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be the tall poppy. I want to be the name. <laughs> I don't, you know, we're, we're, we're the black sheep, all those things, but in, in a positive way. Absolutely. And, and actually it's been a real pain in the bum for things like Instagram, because for some reason in its beautiful algorithms, black hand and gang as three words mean um, bad things that we often um, get blocked because oh, really? of sensitive content and, and all that jazz. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So, thanks, Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, AI. Um, yeah. Thanks. So, so smart. So, to focus a bit on the, the studio itself for a moment, tell us about, we talked about how it's got this great um, architecture to it. It has a little outside gathering place with, like, a beer garden kind of vibe. Um, what facilities do you offer? Um, I think you do a little bit of everything, right? In terms of actual media that printmakers could do if they came to visit. Yeah. yeah. We, um, you know, uh, the facility for me had to deliver on a professional world-class fine art print studio. And so going back to, you know, we, we couldn't really enter the space as too grassrootsy or single technique focused or just doing vivid illustrative screen prints. You know, like the, the, the goal for me was, well, we, we need, to, um, we need to, to genuinely deliver on a fine art print studio. And that for me is you've got to show the diversity of the medium. You've got to show the the ancient techniques, the, the, the modern application of those, the, all the different, all the different um, and style of, styles available. And um, so, yeah, so we have, a, we have a press and we have um, a screen print table and an exposure unit and um, all the gear to do, I think, I think every single technique. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty um, much covers the, the breadth of the medium and so for your listeners there's you know a reason why I did Black Hand Gang so having that background of print appreciation and consumption of uh, contemporary art and sort of um, really living here for 10 years in Indonesia and um, being a great lover of the the burgeoning contemporary art scene here big art fairs in a city called Yogyakarta that are you know real real um calendar events in a in an asian contemporary art scene so this is a really strong last decade in contemporary art here and then for me with a sort of very casual inquiry into you know what's i don't see much printed works and then i pursued that a bit further and and realized that the only presence for for print here is some facilities in in the academic world and some single technique type grassy roots, very small studios. Maybe there's a lino cut one or a screen print one, but again, quite quite small and quite um, narrowly focused. And um, and I go to these shows and I don't see printed work. And I thought, hang on a minute, if we we get the right print making talent. And we set up the right facility and we connect that with the with this incredible contemporary artist community 
with these big art platforms at like the fairs, we can we can do something really additive and and really progressive um, that no one's yet done. And so it, it you know I could just feel this this kind of huge huge black hole where print should be. Mm. And so um, so that was the kind of whoa this is a opportunity. It's a little bit scary, but if I if I make the right um, connections to have a partner to help set up a, a good facility and to be able to um, oversee the printmaking, we'd start joining these dots. And that that is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that, that informed, we got to make sure that we represent print in a very um, balanced and clear way to give it the um, you know the best way to to frame it when we when we announce it and start to promote it to the to the um, to the art industry here and so um, so the facility really had to be um, cover everything and be as good as we can make it and so the day we opened by default we became the leading print studio in India <laughs> and it's the congratulations fourth biggest, yeah the fourth biggest biggest country in the world yeah population wise i mean it's it's madness to think um we 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 were the first to really go for it Mm. um but then that's why i was giddy with excitement to sort of go all in and say this is this is my time to contribute to something here not just consume creativity and art maybe i can actually do something and, and not a personal legacy but make a change Right. And start new opportunities. And um, yeah, so so here we are. And it's, I really appreciate what you're saying too about knowing that if you're going to start to try and forge this space in quite a large contemporary art scene that Indonesia has, that you will have to do it with a very high degree of proficiency and professionalism. Because I think as many of us know, people who listen and people who come on the podcast, it can be a bit of an uphill battle with prints if you're interfacing with someone who thinks art is painting and sculpture, you know, <laughs> and yeah. that's it. And so, you know, to be able to show them something that's been produced at such a high level and the real beauty and the craftsmanship and the skill that goes into that, it is going to go a really long way to finding your place at the table and it's just wonderful yeah. that you have the intentionality behind that to to get it done yeah yeah I, th- I think you nailed it really i mean unfortunately um it can receive that second class citizen fine art medium status label and um because it hasn't been professionally represented here it certainly does have that perception and um and so you know i i just i'm an optimist so i was like wow fantastic let's like blaze <laughs> the trail and show people and and really go for it because i know it is i mean it's not hard to just you know go online and check it out around the world and go wow it it it, it should be so why is it not here and what's the what's the map for us to um navigate through to to get it there and so you know totally naive naively i don't have a background in in printmaking or or running um studio facility and uh you know didn't let that weigh me down but um you know a, a something i've inherited by doing this project is the the whole uphill task of trying to put print medium on a pedestal to be considered as a equal medium in the fine art to you know some negative mm. 
cynicism or you know whether it's uh, paper-based works aren't valuable if it's not oil on canvas and um, you know no one having done this so they don't really have much 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 exposure or kind of um, of, of ambassadors who are also sh- sharing our voice and so we we sort of stepped into this arena as a bit of a lone lone um, entity mm. and um, but for me it's like that's why we have, we have we have to do it as professionally as we can because I think we have an obligation to um, and an opportunity to really to really have an impact. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you tried the line that I would sometimes use on people, where they would be like, "Prince, like what? Like who does Prince? Like what is that?" And be like, "Oh yeah, you know, only like Pablo Picasso and." Rembrandt and Lichtenstein and Francisco Goya and Paul Gauguin but yeah like who does prints right <laughs> like like I think yeah. that sometimes people don't realize what how it used to be completely the part of every well-known artist practice is that you know maybe uh you weren't a printmaker solely but you had prints made which were a completely respectable and maybe more accessible but a big part of one's art practice and sometimes a very big part of one's art practice you know with someone like Picasso uh, or Rembrandt as well yeah yeah and that was um that was also a bit of a light a light bulb moment for me when um because I, I'd set the this this particular our project's vision to be really looking at the fine art end of it and looking to provide a opportunity and a platform to to really raise the profile of print within the the wider contemporary art scene and um so so totally acknowledge um grassroots printmakers and printmaking communities um i think is a very special world it wasn't really where i was focusing because there aren't mm. printmakers yet. like that that as a model is something I will continue to do over time, but isn't the primary thing that we're looking to achieve. And our, our, our vision was let's connect existing, established contemporary artists here and introduce them to the real world of the print medium with the facility, with the um, supervision, and help artists to access the medium and express themselves through it. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and so, like you're saying, it was just, you know, a one one of the avenues an artist can use and here they just haven't had the ability to do that so they just don't haven't been able to pursue it and so that was like a wow like um it's really for me it was probably the moment where I had the biggest smile on my face where I've got there's a couple of big artists in the studio and they're just kind of getting their first briefing on um, etchings and carborundum and um and some of the some of the techniques and these are like big artists here that that um, traditionally paint on big canvases and sell very well and um, are very successful in all the fairs. And I'm just watching these um, these guys like this sort of um, explosion in their eyes as they realise that they're, they're, they're discovering a completely new medium which is limitless in its in its opportunity to 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 create and, and express themselves through it through um, the the painterly styles of a carborundum or something um, um, like like screen printing or a combination of different styles all in all in one piece and and 
And the, the moment I saw was as if you've just given a child a paintbrush for the first time. Yeah. And just yeah. that moment of, wow, I've just been given a, a key to a completely new world of creativity. And, and uh, seeing that in a, you know, someone who, who knows, knows their stuff about being an artist is, uh, is rare and um, a real special moment. So that was like, okay, like my job here is done. <laughs> Keep that happening, the magic will just make this work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it really sounds like it. So how did you go about building your team of printmakers? Because you said you yourself are not a printmaker. I am not a printmaker. We are both in the uh, printmaking Ad- fangirl camp, you know, advocate, print advocate yeah. world. So... Of course, if you're you're building this world class facility, you also need talented artists to come in and and help facilitate other artists making work. So, how did you go about that? Yeah, well, we actually came across um, a gentleman who um, used to to lecture in print at um, the ITB University in, in Bandung, and he was really, um, I guess, the the thought leader of uh, fine art print for Indonesia sort of recognizes that you know he, he studied um, in Canada um, a supporter of chemical free based printmaking and um, has a very good academic and practical um, knowledge of all the all the main techniques and so so he was a real unique character who was um, sort of stuck in a in a role uh, which wasn't using any of that talent and so I, I came across him through a, through an artist friend and that was the you know one of the ingredients in in the um the formula of of how to so i brought him in to help um set up spec out the facility and set up the facility and um and oversee our sort of first six months of printing and so um so he's been great as um kind of our starting talent to get us off the ground and now um we're actually in a position which uh, we talked about um quite recently which is we're recruiting so so i'm a i'm a great believer in opportunity and so without the structure of jobs or um you know predefined positions video for you know mid to senior printmakers um globally to to come and whether that's um like a guest placement they want to come for a few months and uh, hang out in the studio use the studio in their own time to um to do their own works and contribute with the team for some of the projects that we have and figure out whatever the terms of uh those arrangements might be in terms of, um, you know, um, financial support or um, time trade and that sort of stuff. And so, so I really feel we are we're we're in our second phase of, of the project where I think we need some 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 fresh minds, some fresh eyes, some fresh hands and talent and experiences to come in now and to start looking at the projects that we've got and the space and, and facility and um, being, yeah get involved yeah. yeah I mean it sounds like an incredible opportunity that I'm sure a few ears definitely will perk up when they hear it but it sounds like if someone's interested in perhaps coming even for as you said like maybe an extended period of time like a couple of months they should reach out and send you an email or reach out on Instagram if someone is interested in 
exploring that, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Our Instagram has, um, has uh, on the link tree, like a, a application form. You can send send stuff through that. And um, just, just contact us because, like I said, it's not it's deliberately not structured. Because I think as soon as you start structuring things, you start creating obstacles for people to just get in touch. Mm-hmm. And so much rather just like have conversations and just chat and just figure out what's your situation and what are you looking for and do we have aspects of that that also we 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 match each other's needs and then there's a happy union and so those things um i think are better freestyle yeah i think that's a really nice attitude to take towards it because i think sometimes people just automatically jump to the i need to create parameters or i need to create boundaries or borders in some way because it'll make it seem very important you know if I if I put a limit on it like you know you have to have five years of teaching or you know all these different things that that they start to close down in order to make it seem more valuable and I just love the attitude of let's just have a conversation can we both get something out of this and that's just a beautiful way I think to interface with the printmaking community and and really lovely. And I I certainly hope that people do get in touch and get a chance to meet everyone at the Black Hand Gang and see Bali and see the facilities because it's, it sounds like it's a very special thing that you're building there. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) But but thanks. I think it's just the the smart way to go right and it, of course it's like what a what a crazy upside down world we're in right now with travel yeah. uh, and you know people having a tough time all over the world and so and so you know we 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 need to get talent in because right now we've got projects that that need printmakers to, to help support us on and um and i want to see the vibrancy in the studio of uh different experiences and different different personalities and different uh um, aesthetical or technical or, um, or or just interests and and create that kind of um, uh, community here I think would be great and the back I don't know like because I'm from the UK I can say this but if I was stuck in my hometown and um, I've had a really tough year and a half yeah uh, spending some time in a really nice reef we are in the world mm-hmm. And do you, do you know at all, and, and, you know, it's the kind of thing if this, if this episode comes out next week, things could have changed, but currently what is the travel situation like for international flights to Bali? Well, it seems to change on a monthly basis as Mm. uh, a lot, a lot of countries are going through at the moment. And, and, um, as people may, um, we're in first week of August. So right now there's these Delta waves in um, Southeast Asia, Thailand for yourself, and Indonesia are having a bit of a tough time. So, so um, right now, I don't believe there's international flights coming in unless you've already got um, work permits and um, and have been based here and that that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, about five weeks ago, you could have. Yeah. And so I imagine within within the next few weeks, hopefully that um, restrictions will be lifted again. And you know, Bali's a really unique place within Indonesia. So um, it's an it's a tourism based economy and a great source of revenue for the rest of the country and helps on, in lots of different ways um, to support Indonesia. And so they are 
very, very focused on getting barley back on track and um, restarting the, econ- the economy here. And they can't do that unless they open the, um, the borders to, to foreigners. Yeah. Yeah. I think we chatted about that last time that the same way Thailand's really trying to get like Phuket and Koh Samui off the ground. Um, they're really putting the same kind of energy into Bali, it sounds like, in terms of trying to get at least an island safe enough to bring in uh, bring in people from around the world because Indonesia yeah. and Thailand are both places that something like 20% of their economy was based in tourism. So there's a lot of, I was going to say, just a lot of suffering, basically. You know, a lot of poverty and people losing jobs and shutting down shops and a lot's going on um, that motivates people to try and get, open up borders as soon as it's safe. So... Uh, hopefully that will be soon for many reasons. And um, I, yeah, it's like I said, I really hope people get in touch because it sounds like you're providing a, a really wonderful opportunity. And as you say, I'm also from a rainy, dark, cold <laughs> part of the world. And if I had had to spend <laughs> a lockdown winter uh, in that situation, I would be very much looking for um, beaches and coral reefs as well. Yeah. <laughs> We're reaching our recording mark here. So you mentioned getting in touch through Instagram. Is there any other way you'd want people to reach out, even just to say hi or to see the work that you make? Um, well, I'm, I would say Instagram is still the, the first port of call because from there with the, the good old link tree, there's links out to um, you know our, our catalogue of, of portfolio of work and um, exhibition programs that we've made and um, we do have a good website which is blackhandgang.id mm. blackhandgang.id and uh, there's loads of stuff on there as well and that's Instagram. the Instagram handle too yeah yeah I think so I think so yeah excellent um, cool. so yeah check it out and um if anyone's interested just yeah like i said just drop us a line and and um let's go from there that sounds great yeah thank you so much david for joining me this rainy afternoon for both of us and um you're thank gonna you much thank yeah. you yeah and you're gonna stick around with your printmaker correct for a little bit of shop talk with tim yeah excellent <laughs> Well, all right. well, thank you again. It's been great to catch up and to learn even more about what you're doing there. I certainly hope that we get to see it in person sometime soon. Yeah, I really, really would like that. Beautiful. That'd be great. Thank you, David. Thanks, Miranda. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Yakub Reyes. Yakub is an amazingly talented printmaker who uses found objects to explore personal identity and the ongoing effects of colonialism. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. <laughs>